Hello, everyone. Welcome to another season of the TBG Real Estate Podcast. My name is Julio. I am the producer of this podcast. And uh, with me, as always, is the the leader, the man, the host, uh, Chris Papa. Chris. Oh, thanks, Julio. I appreciate that, man. We are in different uh, rooms in the Bay Area, but uh, it's like <laughs> I think I've it's- seen your face more than anyone else's face in the last like four weeks. I love it. You have a very beautiful face. So <laughs> no, it's, I don't. it's good to see it. <laughs> Over our beard trying to control right now. <laughs> I know. We're doing a little something different for season two, man. Uh, 50 episodes in. Congratulations, first and foremost. I know when we started this, it was in a little little conference room over in San Mateo. And now 50 episodes in, we're bringing people season now two. Now we're in so our living rooms in San, in San Carlos. <laughs> in different places. <laughs> no, it's been great. It's been a great... It's been a great journey in learning how to do this at first. Uh, you know, it's a learning experience and I'm, we're getting better all the time. You've been amazing. Um, you know, we're in a weird time right now. It's we're, This is uh, April 2nd recording this. Um, we recorded episode 51 back on uh, March 20th when things were just kind of hitting stride here with the Corona and everyone working from home. So, um, you know, I didn't want to I didn't want to overdo the episodes with Corona because all we do is hear, all I do is hear about it. So I just wanted to like get kind of, you know, it's there. Everyone knows about it. So let's talk about something else. So uh, that's kind of what we did. We kind of focused on the actual, you know, the real estate part of it. So on the career part of it. And you had a really good guest for, for season two to start season two. We have a uh, Bettina Mandela. Mandela. Yeah. Bettina's awesome. She, I mean, she's in the Bay area. She's in a totally male dominated industry. And uh, working her, how she worked her way up through it, and she's amazing. She's she's got a great personality, and um, she is, uh, you know, not just she's not just a beacon for for women out there, but for men too, trying to navigate their careers within real estate and development. So, um, super pumped that we got her for the the you know she's the you know episode one of season two, so it's pretty awesome. The season premiere. Uh, remember to follow the TV Real Estate Podcast on. Uh, iTunes, uh, he's on Podbean. Uh, make sure that you follow tbg.realestate on Instagram as well. And all over social media, you guys do a terrific job of promoting all the content that you guys are putting out for all your followers and for everyone that listens to the podcast. Yeah, dude. Well, you're, you've been a big part of it. So thank you so much. Um, and without further ado, Season two. Hello and welcome to the TBG Real Estate Podcast, where we connect you with some of the most innovative and exciting real estate leaders today. We will show you that there are numerous paths to a successful career in the real estate industry, and that some of your greatest missteps can be turned into your greatest triumphs. Without further ado, here's the head of TBG Real Estate, Chris Papa. All right, folks, welcome to this episode of the TBG Real Estate Podcast. I am your host. Chris Papa, and today have a very special guest, uh, Vettina Mandela. Vettina Mandela is the uh, land development manager with HMH, based out of San Jose. How are you doing, Vettina? We are uh, we're, we're we're talking and during interesting times. Uh, this is uh, currently March twentieth. I'm not sure when this episode will be released, but we're in like the Seemingly the beginning stages of the uh, coronavirus uh, lockdown in the Bay Area. So we're both working from home today and our children are 
are running around and we're learning how to, we're adapting. Um, I'm sure we can get into how this is affecting both of our businesses, especially yours since you're the subject. Uh, but really wanted to say thank you for coming on the, on the show and, uh, and how are you doing? Um, I'm doing pretty well. I think all things considered, the family is healthy. It stopped raining yesterday, so we were able to get out and walk around. So, yeah, things are just, bit, it's been an interesting last week and interesting times. I thought a lot about this afternoon. <clears throat> We've actually been quite busy with submittals. None of that has stopped. They've sent out That's good. Um, notices that the housing crisis, especially in the Bay Area, one of the exceptions and that they're not going to stop uh, building housing. However, the county is completely shut down right now and uh, they are not working remotely. So there's no, the recorder's office is not open. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a partner with some projects in uh, San Francisco and uh, yeah, the construction is uh, essential, but the uh, permitting office is not. So it's, <laughs> Um, There's a gap. <laughs> you can only reach. You can only reach a certain point. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, well, what? Why don't you tell us about uh, HMH and what you do there now? Okay. Um, HMH is a San Jose-based company. We started in 1976. Most of their projects have been in and around the Bay Area, but they have branched out. We have um, offices in Clovis and the Central Valley, and we do work up in the North Bay as well. Um, HMH has been essential to some of the largest developments in San Jose in the last 40 years. Calm Hill, which is the big development that we're still working on to this day, marching down the side of the hill in the southern, it's, it's a little bit west of downtown San Jose. Um, <clears throat> you can see it, it's a big hill that sits up right next to 87 and has a big communication tire, a tower of it. Um, they did Evergreen Valley. And one of the big projects that's kind of in the planning and development, well, it's, the first phase is actually in construction, but the second phase is in planning and development. And that's the flea market, um, which is tied to BART and the new Berryessa BART station. We also have a big public works department that works on BART stations. And they're at Oh, wow. currently working on the extension into downtown San Jose and the tunnel as well. So we have um, all sorts of different types and sizes. I mean, people ask us like, what, what, what's your bread and butter? Like what, what will you do? And I had a old boss from a previous company say something that I always, I, I kind of liked. So I hung on to it. Um, and he said, if there's a site, we'll work on it. So <laughs> I think that that's a fair statement because we have everything from single family homes to huge developments like Communications Hill and uh, the flea market. So, yeah, awesome. I mean, that's, I mean, the one thing that stands out is I'm sure you get told this all the time. I mean, you're a woman in engineering, right? That's which is like, I'm sure I, I my, my, my sister is an engineer. Um, and I think that she got asked to, she was like, went to the dance with everyone in the entire class. Um, cause she, there was no one else to go with. Uh, 
but it, it, did you, I just wanted to kind of get, dig into your background a little bit uh, when you're growing up. I mean, did you, can you tell me about where you grew up and kind of how, if it, was there, how did you get into engineering and, and how did you get into, into the development world? Like where did that interest come from? Yeah, I started out, um, actually, I think my interest in engineering sparked when I was in high school. I was in an advanced physics class my junior year, and I actually grew up in Palo Alto, so not too far, mm. Gun High School. And that year we had um, not enough teachers for whatever reason. And so one of the benefits of Palo Alto is you have Stanford University there. And we had a track coach, Ernie, and to be a graduate student working on, PhD student working on the linear accelerator. And so they said to him, want to come teach physics for a year and see how that works out for you since you're doing your graduate? And he agreed. And nice. it was one of, I mean, he was, you know, four years older than us, maybe. Um, and he just did all sorts of cool stuff, brought stuff in from the lab. There were so many cool experiments. And I think that really sparked my interest in physics um, and science. I wasn't like, I've all, I always loved it. I wasn't like super strong at math. I always just kind of put up with math because I really liked physics. So, um, mm. and that's kind of how uh, college went for me too. Um, I went in actually as a mechanical engineer. I started out there because um, my dad told me that that's what I should do. As many kids that are 18 years old trying to decide what they want to do for the rest of their life. But realized yeah. pretty quickly that I, I really like static things. I didn't like it when things moved. I just wanted to deal with buildings and structures. And I took this interesting class in my junior year or my, my freshman year at UCSB because that's where I was and it was about future environments and that scared me a lot and I thought well maybe I want to go into environmental engineering so Santa Barbara doesn't have a huge engineering program so I moved over to San Jose State and they had an environmental engineering program but at that time um, the professor there and I think just at that time because it was 20 years ago Environmental engineering was really um, waste management and cleaning sewage, working working for a water treatment plant. Mm. I had someone say to me, "Oh, you want to be a shit engineer?" And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> "I was like, yeah, uh, no, I, I really don't." So then I kind of had to go again. And I realized, again, I really like those static things. So I, my emphasis, and I was really into structural engineering, and that's kind of where I focused, but realized that structural engineering is kind of like architecture in the sense that you have to just be really good at it. You have to just be a super big go-getter, which I think I found out later I was. I probably could have been fine at it, but it's, it's one of those um, careers where a ton of people try to do it and not very many succeed. So I tried, I was also coming out of, we were, I graduated right towards the end of the dot-com crash, graduate college. And so there wasn't many jobs available to me at that point in time. And I kind of just took the first one available, which was inland development, and there was nothing available in structural. So I just thought, well, we'll try it out and then we'll see what I want to do. And I, 
I really, really liked it. And um, the first firm I was with was was small and didn't give me much. Um, I six months in the economy kind of picked up and there was an um, job advertisement with a bigger company named BKF. They're probably they're mm. around here, um, at least in the Bay Area, and they've grown a lot since then. And I worked with them um, for about 11 and a half years, actually. And yeah, that's a, long, that's a long time. It was, it was. And I think for me, I just wanted to be kind of in a bigger situation that had uh, more opportunities for training the projects that I was working on. I, I was working on Santana Row and some of these big Irvine company projects that are around here. Um, so that was, that was really, that, that was kind of like how I got here. I, I, I think I didn't even realize at that point in time that that was really how heavily tied we were to commercial real estate, which seems silly because of course it is. Right. But mm. so kind of sheltered and put in this, I a design engineer role and wasn't able to get out too much and move around and network. And I, um, had my, I had had my second child after the 11 and a half years. I had both kids. The second child was going to, um, can, or no, first grade. So he was going to be in school all day. And I told him, you know, I really want to grow and I really want to be those next steps. And I think that my boss was a little taken aback because I think he thought I wanted to be really focused on being a mom and, and still have here and they were very supportive of that but i just don't think that they thought i wanted to go full that i was ever going to want to go full back into my career so at that point in time i was being recruited and i figured well let's let's take the bait let's see what what other companies have to offer and um langan was building out a civil team they're a pretty big international firm and they um had uh, geotech and environmental in their San Jose office, but they really wanted to build out civil. So they asked me um, if I could leave that effort with them. So I went back to my boss at BKF because we had spent a long time together and I told him what I was being offered. And he, and I said, you know, I, I want to talk to you about it. I don't just want to walk. And he came back he, it was a Friday he came back the next weekend and said, or on Monday after the weekend and basically said, wow, that sounds like a really great opportunity. And if I were you, I would take it. You would be stupid not to. So he was pretty supportive. And so that was like, I stayed at Langan for a while. Um, it was about three years. I think that was a really, that was kind of my moment of really realizing how heavily tied I was to kind of all these other industries and all these other people and and that I really did have a network. I, I came out of BKF not talking to anyone except my design team pretty much and, and managing and leading designs and learning how to lead an actual team and bring in the projects and manage the clients. I mean, that's a whole different skill set that I had to learn on the fly um, with, with Langan and my boss was there, but he wasn't really present. And at the end of the day, when I 
kind of ended up moving on from that because I really did need a little bit more support than they were willing to give me. I, I thanked him. I said, you know what? You put me in a sink or swim position and I learned a lot about myself. I would never have done something like this five years ago. I was, I wouldn't say I've ever, was ever, I've ever been an introvert, but I definitely wouldn't go out and introduce myself to people. I mean, my husband who I've dated since I was 16 years old. So he's known up with me. He noticed such a change um, in all of that networking and just having to throw yourself out there and say, hi, my name's Bettina and this is what I do. So, um, and I think with commercial real estate too, that's a, like a huge part of it, right? I mean, and whereas engineers, we just kind of sit back and that's an interesting piece of being an engineer in what we do because they typically just the industry culture is that you keep people kind of in these little bubbles doing their design and working with architects until you can identify those few individuals that that can actually go out and carry on a conversation and and kind of move on and take that next step and um unlike i feel like my husband who's actually he's a, a financial planner um and <laughs> so his has been interesting the last week as well um but unlike him who's like he had to do all learn all those skills on the front end and the networking skills and the communication skills and how to sell yourself um, he learned that first and then learned the business it's kind of the opposite world of where you learn the business and then you then they throw you out there i mean that yeah that's that's a lot, a lot to unpack there i mean the, the things i wanted to talk to you about are um one, you you mentioned a lot there. Like one, you're a woman in the engineering field, which is unusual. And like, I wanted to get, I wanted to get your take in regards to, you know, why do you think there's so few women in engineering? Is it think because you you said your dad right was the one who pushed you into, into engineering? Yeah, and he's um, a CPA, so he doesn't even have anything to do. With why do you think? I mean, why do you think that is? Like, I I um, I mean, like I said, my sister, she's in her twenties. She's an engineer, but. I mean, you don't see that when I was in college in the nineties, there weren't really any women engineers, especially like they all came over from another country and were engineers. Yeah. It wasn't like any American women were engineers. Do you think that's, I mean, why do you think that is? I mean, why do you think you were kind of drawn to that? I mean, I don't know why. I mean, I, I do think it was my parents, my dad and mother were very much, supportive of you can do anything and be anything you want and don't let anyone tell you differently. Not saying that other um, parents don't do that as well. I think in general, you actually see quite a few women in the engineering field and graduating um, in, a, in STEAM careers. I think what ends up happening or they start out in it, right? And or they mm. go in as a freshman, and then they just kind of whittle out. I mean, there aren't a lot of role models. I think that's the first thing. And I, when I actually started at BKF, there were two women. Um, there were two women in the ownership group, and so that okay. kind of unique to that company. And to have that role model was 
kind of neat. And the company has continued keeping women. But again, you see, and even in HMH, you see a lot of these women in these lower level, lower management. HMH has done a pretty good job at elevating some of the women to the management level, but we don't have anyone on our ownership team. And even with going back to BKF, they had those women. They have since retired because they're or are on their way retiring. And there aren't any women lined up to be of that. We're lined up, but they didn't, you know, think you would always have like one or two, right? <laughs> yeah. But I think part of it is not having a role model. And as silly as that seems to me, because I don't really, I don't see a male or a female. Um, what I do see and feel is the difference in the way males and females behave and react. And I see a lot of women who those some of those women that did end up in those higher positions, you know, they kind of behaved like a male, I guess, what you would expect. And even I've gotten pushback over the years that, you know, I'm not behaving the way that one would expect me to be as a woman and, or, you know, you're being too brash or you're training. And in my opinion, it's exactly the same as some of my male counterparts. I've gotten this throughout. Um, every company, the three companies that I've worked for. And so, and I don't really see it as a me problem. Although I always say, if you keep getting the same uh, comment back <laughs> inward, because maybe it is a me problem <laughs> to some degree, I do need to tone it down, but I do feel like I would say something that one of my male counterparts would say, and I think they've done quite a few, um, studies recently about um un what is it called un something bias i'm, I'm totally blanking oh. um but it's basically they've done harvard did a bunch of studies recently and if you take the same statement and you have a male say it and then you have a female say it, gotcha. and then how people react to it and you know, the woman is, the woman is bitchy or the woman is this. And yeah. that's really hard to get past emotionally. And I, I don't think, and I don't, it's not that I don't think there's enough women that are strong enough. I just think like at some point in time, and there's been times even with myself of like, I, I just don't care anymore. <laughs> I just mm -hmm. enough to keep pushing through. Cause this is, this is really hard. Um, Unconscious bias is what it's called. Mm -hmm. yeah. There's a Unconscious. bunch of studies that, on, that Harvard did recently. And it's, it's, very, it's been very interesting to me because I feel it. I'm, I am living it. And I think a lot of the women and the females around me are in these um, engineering positions. Like, I don't think any of the men or the women, and we do it to each other. I wouldn't say it's all male or female. Um, I don't even think they're even conscious that they're doing that. But it's just almost how we've been socially conditioned to see a, a woman, you know, we're supposed to be the softer sex and gentler. And, and mm -hmm. I am to some degree, and I'm sure anybody who knows me that's listening to this is probably laughing and rolling their eyes. 
<laughs> but I'm, I'm direct. I'm to the point. This is my expectations of you. And, you know, and when you don't meet my expectations, I'm not going to yell and scream and go crazy, but I'm going to let you know that you didn't meet the expectations and we're going to sit down and figure out why and how we can do better next time. And it's been taken the wrong way. And that's unfortunate because I feel like that's a good leader. Um, and I feel like if I was a male, people would say, that's a, those are good leadership skills. Um, but it's gotta be, it's gotta be frustrating. Yeah. And I, I personally think that's why, but that's definitely part of it. And again, it's, it's exhausting because it just adds this element that it's just one more thing. Like it's hard enough to climb the corporate ladder anyways, as it is male or female. And it's just one more thing you're kind of pushing through and fighting with. So. You also mentioned that at one point in your career, like you were going to have children and they felt like, oh, she's, she's not going to like come back or she's not going to become back as uh, work as, as hard. Um, do you think maybe that is unconsciously they kind of encourage women to do that? Or do you think that they, some of the, some of the women like who might be into like ownership or like you know, management roles, maybe kind of get fall off because I don't know, fall off the right word, but maybe they don't do that because they do have the children and it's kind of like, it's a tough balancing act. Yeah. I mean, I think fall off is the right word to some degree as maybe not politically correct as that is. I don't think that it's that they don't want to and, and still be part of that process. But when I went back after my second child, especially, I mean, you know, I was working 40 hours a week, but I wasn't working 60. And I see as a manager, like, or if as a um, owner, you're looking at that person that's busting their ass 60 hours a week. And then they are looking at me also busting my ass, but 40 and having yeah. also work smarter, right? Like I was, had to be super efficient when I went in there and got out of there and made sure I got my tasks done. And what I'm hoping actually is with Silicon Valley, the way it is, and with the millennials coming in, we don't have this luxury of having one parent stay at home and one parent working. So I think that a lot of these problems that we're seeing as we consider quote unquote female problems are really going to become everyone's problem. Who takes the kid to the dentist? Who's helping them with homework? Who's dealing with baseball practice after school? Who's, who's doing all this stuff? It's not going to be just the mom where before yeah. and in this kind of older generation that's on their way out right now. Um, and retiring, that was the way a lot of their households functioned. And so I think it's hard for them to understand how it could be any different because they've never seen it be different. Whereas, you know, I have another, I have an engineer who's working for me and he's got kids and he's got a wife that works too. And I have coworkers also, we're all the same age and in the same boat, male and female. We're all dealing with the same problems. And I even um, those women that I worked with at BKF or worked for at BKF, their husband stayed at home or they had a one of them, their husband stayed at home. The other one, the husband had a business that he ran out of his house. So 
you just, you're not going to have that opportunity anymore to say, oh, well, you know, someone's got to take care of the kids and it's got to be mom. And mm. I think it'll be an interesting time to see how it evolves and how the attitude evolves. I work with some, uh, I've been noticing lately, men in their, like around their thirties, early thirties asking like me, Hey, what's, you know, when they're interviewing somewhere, what's their paternity plan? Like, like how many you know weeks off do they get when a baby's born? And yeah, I never heard that before. Like this year, no one, no man ever asked me that. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Like it was, it wasn't really even, I mean, I'm, I'm not that old. I'm 42, but even when I had my, or when my son was born 10 years ago, I didn't even think what my paternity plan was. It was like, you know, it was all like, all right, what was my, what's the mother, what's the maternity plan, right? Not the, like dad goes back to work the next day or you know, within a couple of days right? type of thing. Um, and now I guess, yeah, not, I guess, I mean, it, it's definitely the mindset is like, it's more of an equal shared responsibility on that front. At least I'm seeing it, you know, at the beginning of the child's life. So I guess that, you know, it's just, that will carry through to the rest of their life too, hopefully. Um, but it, yeah, it's definitely a mind, a mindset shift. Um, and I see it with, with companies and their benefit plans because they are out there asking me, Hey, the company's asking me, Chris, what is the market like for paternity plans? What should I be giving these people? You know, what does everyone else give them? Um, so now they're, they're conscious of it. So they want to, you know, they're thinking about these dual roles, you know, in, in the household and, and raising children is definitely, uh, it's out there now with like kind of the younger generation of companies, the leadership that's coming in, into power, um, which is great. It is. And I, I would encourage too for companies to get a woman and a mom in the room because my sister is she's a cpa as well she did follow dad's footsteps but she works hmm. a different um company than my dad than my dad at his own firm she works for a different company and they have we were talking about this a few weeks ago they have a female in the room and she's really advocating and i was saying to my sister wow how lucky are you because she just had a baby her first baby and i was just saying to her how lucky are you to have someone in there that understands what your needs are. Because I think the other failure on everyone's part was that there wasn't a female in there communicating the experience and helping set things up based on experiences. And I think it's going to benefit, like you said, males and females, because, you know, paternity leave, we're going to have to, that's simple. We're going to have to deal with it for the men and the women. And I think it's great that the moms can stay home for, you know, for five, six weeks, and then dads can take another four weeks off after that. I mean, that's a great, I mean, I wish it actually was even better. Like Europe was in six months, but you know, I mean, we're, we're moving in the right direction, I guess. And, and who's to say dad can't help out and change diapers. I, the only thing is he can't nurse, but I mean, we have workarounds nowadays. So you know, it's great. I think that we're on a path, a better path than we have been. I mean, probably would have always said that. I, I would say that when I started looking back now, I mm -hmm. assumed we were going to be much further than we are now um, in the industry and with engineering. Um, as far as percentages of females coming into STEAM and then just kind of women in that leadership um, ownership group and that percentage, I thought it was way higher than 
where it is now. I maybe I was just you know so optimistic it was going to be fifty. Well, I mean, you're you're. I mean, you're a leader. I mean, that's what that's what it takes for people to be. I mean, you're an example to these people, and uh, you know, someone like you is going to you know continue to rise to the ranks, and it just yeah, it takes it takes a long time, I guess, you know. Yeah. Unfortunately, I had some. Uh, so I mean, oh, I was okay. just going to say I had some interesting statistics. I took off a Steam um, website that I think like lends itself to this. Is women they start out so women who are joining the workforce and graduating in Steam careers, it's twenty one percent. Now, the time that they become professionals, which means licensed and in um, management, it drops down to 8% of the workforce. So I thought that was really huh. interesting and kind of backs up my thought process of that they just kind of drop off, you know? I'm doing a, a survey for the real estate industry about compensation, and it goes that uh, um, it's like men and women are, are pretty much compensated similarly on like the front end comp, like base salary, it's not that different, but like the bonuses is kind of where it comes, like the back end is where it kind of comes the big, the bigger differences, which I find pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, I've never, maybe I'm just a more naive and choose not to look so much at that. I've never really felt or experienced that, uh, you know, funny story. When I started, I um, was talking, I was working late and there was another man who had also graduated, but he had his master's and I just had a bachelor's and we weren't supposed to be talking about what we were being compensated, but we happened to share and he was getting paid less than me. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> so I well, all right. That, okay. There you go. I guess. Yeah. I think it's about your negotiation skills more than any <laughs> women feel like they don't deserve it or they don't, I've always heard like, they don't ask, right? You're not going to get it if you don't ask. So I've just always been like, well, I'm just going to ask. I'm just going to tell them, well, that, you know, this that could is be what a cultural, I want. That's a cultural, that could be a cultural thing too. Just not even thinking to ask, I think. Right. So like men being more assertive type of thing. Yeah. It's not, it's not every male and every female, but it's probably just, yeah, generally just how it is. Um, but it's definitely changing and I've seen it. I've been recruiting for 15 years and I've seen the change and I, hopefully it, it continues that way. Um, now I wanted to dive in a little more, like I, we, we interview a lot of people on the development side up for, you know, for owners, acquisitions, property management. Now you are a land development manager, so you're involved with the development process, but how are, how do you interact with these other, uh, areas of real estate? So I work directly with a lot of the developers like Eric Hayden, who I think was on here, um, with urban catalysts, you know, we, mm -hmm. with, with that kind of type, we work with the um, and and different sizes of firms. We have this Republic Urban Summer Hill Homes is one of our big um, companies that we're working with. KB Homes. Um, so we're working directly, mostly with the developers. I kind of you know when you talk to brokers and the financial part, I definitely kind of zone off into into space a little bit. Um, I'm trying actually to get better at that because I think, again, in me understanding for the networking purpose and hooking people up with just other people that might be helpful um, in the whole process, I would like to understand that more. So that is a piece that I'm kind of researching. And But I, honestly, the, the financial part of it, I'm sometimes goes way over my head. So, so like a summer hill, like they're like, all right, we want to, we want to build 
houses here. Yeah. And then they, they reach out to you and they say, but Tina, Hey, we want to, we want to hire you to help us do this. So what, what would your role be when, when they are in that process? Like, and what would you be doing? So we come in and we say we're in the planning and entitlements portion of it. And so we can do a lot of like the due diligence packages. I put together a lot of due diligence over the years of, I help, again, I'm not part of the actual financial end of it, but I can put together numbers for them as far as what do I think these improvements are going to be, the quantity, so that I can then hand it back to Summerhill and say, this is how much, they can run their numbers and their metrics saying, this is how much the project is going to cost. They can go back and look at it and say, this is what, um, this is what we'll make on it and then decide whether or not to move forward. And so we look at everything from the utilities. Does it need to be upsized? You know, if it was just a parking lot before and now you're putting 250 homes on it, what does that do to mm. water line sizes and the sanitary sewer sizes? Um, we do a lot with the storm drainage or if there's, if it's in a flood zone, what it's going to take to lift it out of the flood zone or deal with the mapping, um, FEMA flood mapping on that end. So we'll provide all those kind of preliminary services to the developer to help them make the decision on whether it's go, no go on the project. And then the next kind of piece is that is if they do decide to go, um, we can then help them through that process and navigate. Uh, my boss, Ray Hashimoto, is an amazing just at networker and knowing all the people within the cities to kind of negotiate with because that piece is a very political piece of trying to get a project entitled and through that um, process and it's who you know and what the relationship is and HMH has a lot of uh, not just Ray there's other people too who have been working with the cities for a long time and they've developed these relationships um, and myself included and um, building, uh, building the relationships so the projects can actually get through. And not that it's all political. I mean, you have to, you have to follow the rules, right? You have to still, you have to still overlyingly achieve what the city's main purpose and goal is. But sometimes there's a, a little bit of wiggle room in those, in their code and, and knowing where we can kind of wiggle it a little bit. I mean, one of the projects mm. we're working on, which is great, it's for this um, inclusionary housing in downtown San Jose. It's on North First Street. And they wanted to do this. The whole project has to be accessible. And so they wanted to do this drop-off that's flat that flattens the sidewalk kind of to street level in front so that it can be an accessible drop-off so anyone can use it, and especially their housing or that it's going to serve their own housing, but it will also serve the entire neighborhood and community. The project's called the Kelsey. It's a really neat, like, like a drop off for like Ubers and stuff. Well, it's a drop off for Ubers, but they want it to be ADA accessible because it's an inclusionary. Oh, okay. That will serve the develop uh, the physically and developmentally disabled as well as non, as well as low income, as well as um, market rate housing. It's going to serve everyone, right? And Every single unit is ADA accessible. Not that it has to go to someone that needs ADA accessibility, but it could mm. go either way. So there's no difference in the market rate versus the BMR. Unit. So that it's kind of an interesting, it's called the Kelsey. It's kind of an interesting product that Michaela came up with. But the city of San Jose didn't want their drop-off to be, you know, 
at grade because that's not their standard and all this other stuff. And we were able to all come to a, a, a conclusion that we all liked. And it, <laughs> it took nine months to get the drop off approved by the city, but we got it done. So those are the types of things that we'll go in there and just you know, grind that out for the client. So the client's not having to work through that um, exclusively. And then knowing the codes um, that we can, that again, we can kind of, how to read them, kind of like a lawyer, right? How do you read it? Yeah. How do you interpret it? How can you kind of make it fit to what you need? That's a lot of the value that we bring, especially on the front end to projects. And then we bring it all the way through construction and do all that end. But um, the front end is just the beginning stages of projects. It's just, it takes a lot sometimes to get them through. And you said that you, you, at the beginning, you were not very good at like this whole socializing and networking, right? I mean, that seems like a big part of your job to have to like communicate with these people and um, like, kind of get them to like you almost too, right? It's yeah. Part of it's smoothing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I've always had to communicate with the city engineers, so I, I know how to deal with that. But um, even Regis is the, is one of the developers working on this Kelsey project. And I turned to Olya, who we're working with there, and I said, she kept trying, she was the one that was communicating with um, the city. And I turned to her and said, let's let, oh yeah, take a step back. Let me speak with the engineers in our engineering language and let's see what we can do. And she, when we did that and we were able, again, it was after nine months of a lot of back and forth between all of us. But you know, I've always been able to talk to the engineers. It was Sarah's Regis that I didn't know how to really communicate with. And <laughs> That was the learning curve. <laughs> yeah, an engineer that, that can actually communicate with people is pretty dangerous. <laughs> you, got, you, you got both sides. You got both sides of the coin. It's like a, it's like a a tech, you know, a programmer that can actually communicate. It's, it's so rare, or an accountant that can communicate. Like those those people like climb up the the ladder fast because they have the, both the technical, the soft, and the hard skills. Yeah. Um. Uh, it sounds amazing. I mean, I, I I it's been great getting to know you. I'm gonna. Are you ready to get into the hot seat? Uh, yeah, I didn't really like prepare myself for that, but I know well, that's because it's so hot. You can't prepare yourself for the heat, <laughs> the heat coming at you. Okay. All right. The hot seat is sponsored by KK Reset. KK Reset is an HR management and outsourcing consulting firm that specializes in helping organizations to reset their culture, structure, and path. They do this through services, which include comprehensive consultation to identify gaps and opportunities for corporate training programs. HR services and career mapping services. They've collaborated with nonprofits, startups, and academic organizations to protect them from liabilities, reduce turnover, and preserve their brands. They've also collaborated with a number of my clients on the real estate front who are not large enough to have their own in-house HR program. So they outsource it to KK Reset. KK Reset comes in, maybe sits on site a couple days a week and provides you know everything you need from an HR perspective for your, for your firm. So it's a great, uh, resource for those shops who just maybe doesn't make sense for them to have in-house HR function. Um, so please check them out at kkreset.com. K-K-R-E-S-E-T.com. What now specifically towards like business or real estate or construction or, or engineering or empowerment or whatever, what any books that you recommend to people? Um, I was reading, it's an interesting, it's called book. It's not really about real estate, I guess, more about girls, but women. It's called Alpha Girls. I went to this BIA um, 
meeting, which is Building Institute of America, and it was for women. And uh, the author was there. And it's just, it's actually about the women upstarts and the women venture capitalists, VCs in Silicon Valley. I thought it was really interesting because I was yeah. there during all of that. I was growing up literally there. And so um, I thought that was interesting. Uh, and then just to see their perspective of, uh, again, nav navigating a very male dominated world was an interesting book. What was it called again? It's called Alpha, Alpha Girls. Girls. Alpha and Girls. Guthrie is the name nice. of the, our author. How about, uh, do you listen to any podcasts? You know, we got stuck in the car last weekend driving home from Tahoe. And uh, <laughs> I made my husband because he never listened to it. The serial, the first season. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> so uh, I, I wish I, I wish I could. I wish I could hear that again for the first time. So <laughs> yeah, I know. And actually, we had my thirteen-year-old daughter listen to it too. It, it was kind of questionable, but I think you know there's some value in knowing how to be safe and protect yourself too. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. Off this. Uh, off the subject of workbooks though um i recently read omnivore's dilemma and uh, have you read that book no i have not is that about it's literally what it does <laughs> it really is about <laughs> that it's not about vegetarianism i'm not a vegetarian but it's a very interesting book about corn and michael paul oh. is the guy he also he wrote uh, one recently about um uh um hallucinogenics as well which i haven't read yet but he's a really good writer and um it's very interesting to learn about our food system and oh i think it's fascinating yeah I, I i i go deep dive into that stuff like a netflix and everything i love that stuff yeah he has the fire water earth air that's his netflix series that he did it's really good as well very interesting well, I, I, we got a lot of time to kill, so I'm, I'm going to be in the house a lot lately, so maybe I'm going to probably watch that. I would highly recommend that Netflix series, and that's something your kids can watch. I don't know how interested they'll be, but it's all about the science of of air and yeast, and he talks about cheese and bread and beer and wine and how all that works, and that's... Wow, you're a, you're a legitimate, legitimate nerd. Congratulations. <laughs> I know. I, I am. <laughs> Behold yeast and all the, 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 exciting, the exciting world of yeast. I'm even uh, a food what, nerd. <laughs> what do you like to do outside of work? What other, what other things do you nerd out on? <laughs> uh, we spend a lot of time with the kids. I, you know, I have a 13 year old and she's on travel ball, so I don't know if I totally enjoy uh, all mm -hmm. um, afternoons and weekends at the softball field, but we do a lot of um, gardening at home. And just trying to dive into family time during the weekends because I do get bogged down and, you know, sometimes more often than I'd like, I am working those 60-hour work weeks. So we uh, That's nice. yeah. we spend a lot of time doing family activities. And we're hiking a lot right now. And, yeah, just being outside. Nice. What advice would you give to your 20-year-old self and or any, you know, a 20-year-old woman just coming out of college and starting her career? Just to be strong with who you are and don't back down on anything. 
I don't know that I ever have, but I hope if I did it, <laughs> I wouldn't. <laughs> um, and that, you know, perseverance is going to get you a long way. And my dad was the one that said, you can do anything you want. You know, you, you got to set your mind to it, but you can do anything you want. And he was right. So I got to listen to that. Good advice. Now, what do you look for in hiring people? Um, or like if you're bringing on an intern or if you're, you know, hiring, working with partners, like what do you, what kind of qualities do you look for in a person? It's funny because we just had this conversation a few weeks ago at work. We hired a bunch of right out of college and we're hiring interns right now. We're in the middle of that. And uh, one of my coworkers was saying, well, is this person any good? And Mm -hmm. I said to him, how do you know? if someone right out of college is any good. I think the thing that's interesting, and and I think a lot of careers, and when you're in college, you don't realize this, that your college education really doesn't, the only thing it sets for is how to work hard, how to do some research, and how to meet a deadline. That's basically all it teaches you. Most of the, yeah. most of the classes and training I didn't really apply any of it. And I think that first year out of college is just trying to figure out what the hell we're doing. And it's, it's hard. So I would say I'm looking for someone that just is perseveres and just is a go-getter and just really wants to learn because the people that come in and say, Oh, I know everything. I got this. I mean, those are the people that just completely turn me off because I sit there and say, oh, yeah, you think you got it, but you haven't actually done it yet. And until then, you don't know whether or not you've got it. So. Good advice. Yeah. Humility, hard work. (laughs) Humility and hard work. Yep. Well, Bettina, you're an amazing woman. It's been great getting to know you. We're in the middle of this uh, coronavirus thing. We didn't touch on it because that's going to be a whole nother (laughs) hours of how this is affecting our our world and our, our jobs. Yeah. Um, and I think we're just, ha- I'm, I'm kind of at overload thinking about it and talking about it. So I'm glad we got to learn about you, you and your career and, um, how you are just by being yourself, empowering women in the real estate and con- engineering world. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, best of luck. And, uh, hopefully we'll meet one day. Yeah. Not the far apart. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, all right. Thanks for Tina. Have a good afternoon. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the TBG Real Estate Podcast. Please visit us online at tbg-realestate.com or on Instagram at tbg.realestate. Until next time, have a great week.